Give it up for these guys. What's up, 11 o'clock? Yeah, good morning, good morning. My name is Keith Valentine. I'm one of the volunteers here. Let me be one of the first to say thank you for spending part of your Sunday here with us. If you're new here, we would love to get connected with you. You can go to the starting point booth out in the lobby, get us your information, or you can actually just fill out this connection card and tear it off, drop it in the offering when it goes by, and then we can get you on our mailing list, keep you in touch with some of the events that we have going on. Got a few announcements before we jump into the day. You know, that song really resonated with me about I need help because I need, I'm drowning in myself. You know what? A lot of us do a lot of uh, things to our lives that are, that are harmful, and we don't know how to recover from it. Even as a Christian, we've got problems to work through. And recently, I went through a 12-step program through Celebrate Recovery that changed my marriage and changed my life because I had a lot of anger issues that I needed to work through. And so we're bringing that here to this church. Celebrate Recovery is starting in September, Monday nights at 7 p.m., um, in, in several locations for the, the men and the women, but this is an opportunity for those of you that know that you need to work through some junk. It doesn't just have to be addiction. It has to be anything to do with a heart issue, hurts, habits, hang-ups, anything that you need to work through. This is an opportunity for you to work through it and do your part to get freedom from it, okay? So I want to just think, throw that out to you guys, pray about it, think about it. would love to see you there. Uh, tomorrow night at 7 p.m., we got our Fall Town Hall event. This is an opportunity for you guys to... Um, Share our, for us to share our plans with you about what we have going on in the fall. We're going to be going through the results of the survey, and it's an opportunity for you to meet our elder board and, and ask the questions that you have and find out what we've got going on and get connected with this community. So that's going to be at our 246 Ministry Center over there in Winter Garden. And then also this Friday coming up, we have our next Man Up event, okay? The, yeah, yeah. So, so a newly minted Man Up men's ministry here at Kensington. We've got events happening twice a month. This Friday night at 7 p.m. at the 246 facilities game night, right? No, no wife, no children, just the men hanging out. We're going to have cornhole, foosball, uh, uh, ping pong, and poker, all right? So uh, trash talk is not only uh, expected, it's encouraged, all right? So guys, come hang out with us. We'll kick your butts in some games and have some fun, all right? That's Friday night. And then lastly, we've been talking the last few weeks about volunteering, and that's something that's very near and dear to my heart. I'm going to bring Kevin up for us to go on to the next part of this service. But this is one of the core things that makes this church happen. So I'm going to hand it over to him. Thanks, dude. It's my little brother. Give him a hand, right? Um, well, hey, we're in a season of, of the year where we are taking three weeks out of our, uh, of, of our days and just going, hey, would you be willing to step up and be a part of one of our volunteer teams? We uh, have over 100 people that volunteer every single Sunday here to make Kensington happen from 6 a.m. in the morning all the way to 1.30 in the afternoon. We literally take this school, transition into a church, and then back to a school again. And then all the ministries that happen um, throughout the day with our parking team and our coffee team and our ushers and greeters, and this is where we're just saying, hey, would you, want, would you want to be a part of what we have going on here? We have been asking for 55 people to step up over the course of this, this three-week push. Last week, we had, I think, 15-plus of you, so we need another 40 of you to step up and say, hey, I will serve during the school year once or twice a month. And so rather than me tell you about it and say, hey, it's really cool, it's really fun, you should do it, I would like you to hear from some of our volunteers, some of our people that are, are actively doing that right now, and so I would love to invite out to the stage, Adam and Stephanie Hodges. So you guys come on out. Could we give them a hand? That would be great. So these are two of our wonderful volunteers, and I'll just jump right in with you, Adam, and just ask you this. Like, what, what made you, inspired you to jump in and become one of the volunteers in the first place? 
Well, we had uh, a friend had recommended that we come to Kensington, and we weren't sure. Kensington churches is such a, a big thing, or it can be. So for us, it was. But the first time we came, the service was about adoption, and we were so lucky to have a, a wonderful adopted daughter. And so as we sat out there, and you spoke, it really felt like just like Alan said last week. It felt like you were talking to us directly. And mm-hmm. so we said we got to come back the next week. So we came back, and, and each me- each message each week was just on target for us and so when the time came last year and you said okay we need some volunteers Steph and I talked about it and said okay it's time for us to try this out and we weren't sure what we we're going to do or what you needed so it turns out she's in the hospitality group up front and I'm usually upstairs way back up there doing video direction and helping set up and it's went from being kind of a chore to help at church which it typically was in the past to something that's really it's a point of honor because it's amazing what goes on around here to set this up you kind of talk about that but Mm -hmm. it's really incredible the people how they come together and put it all together to make it all happen that's cool so stephanie will kind of jump to you what made you want to jump in well back to adam's point um when we walked into kensington it just felt right it felt like this is where god wanted us to land um it's definitely a different experience growing up catholic and what those services look like there was just a message there and um, it just felt like you were talking to me. There was nobody else there in the room week after week. And so this experience has allowed us to grow as a family. We have kind of a new um, revived faith. Um, and it's just brought us closer together. Serving just seemed like a no-brainer, the next step in the process. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, and, and like you know, I've said a lot of times, it's true in my life, true in, in your life, um, true in a lot of people's lives. It's like for many of us, the next step spiritually is to jump in and start serving, start giving your life away for the sake of Christ. And what does he say? When you do that, you'll find life. And so um, you, know, you guys did that. And so Adam, I'd love to know kind of how has that impacted your walk with God, your, your relationship with him? Well, it's um, coming to you know learn and know more about the Bible and the teachings, and you know, one of the concepts you talked about early on is learning more in a circle than in a row, and joining a group. And, and my some of the folks in my men's group are in the production team, so mm. really it's kind of reinforced because you see it day in and day out or week in week out. But then also you learn that part of the Bible talks about helping spread the word and spread the light, and so. Mm. It's really that the action part of that is serving and coming in, being part of the service to help everybody attend and, and just enjoy this. And it's really kind of amazing because on the production team, you get to see how good the people are on stage, how the, the musicians and the, the vocal folks and, and I mean, the singers and, and, and the speaker. Behind. It's, yep. it's incredible. It really mm-hmm. is. <laughs> <laughs> pastor every once in a while, too. <laughs> every once in a while. Oh, no, that's great. And so, so Stephanie, we'll kind of jump to you. I would love for you to just answer a question. How has this impacted your family? Um, that's easy. I have learned to lead by example. I uh, realized that um, serving and making sacrifices, just those actions alone can not only impact my family, but uh, a lot of other folks um, in my life. And I've done that, I think, by allowing myself to be vulnerable, stepping out of my comfort zone. And it's really it's really made a difference. And um, it's really changed our life. I'm proud of where we've come. Yeah, absolutely. Adam, how about you? Like, how's, how have you seen this impact your family? Well, it's nice because it's you know, week in, week out, we're busy with stuff like everyone else is. You've got school, you've got work stuff, you've got other activities. And so this allows us to kind of come together and do something we all get something out of, enjoy, and be part of the church. It really helps connect us with God and with those around us in the church. We really think Kensington is such a special place. And oh, so we're happy cool. to be part of it. 
That's pretty awesome. Okay, last thing for you, Stephanie, is there are people that are sitting out there just like you were um, before you guys jumped in, and they're kind of going, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I should, but there's a part of me that just wants to make something happen here. Um, what do you have to say to them? Go for it. It's so easy. Just go for it. You'll be glad you did. I've met so many wonderful people here, and it's just been a great experience, and I can't wait to get involved and do more this year. That is awesome. Well, hey, let's give these guys a hand. You guys are awesome. Thanks for what you do here. Well done, by the way. Um, so real quickly, it's very simple how to get involved. One, you've got this insert, and there's a number of ways you can fill this out. Um, put in the offering later. We will have somebody contact you within 48 hours to kind of help you get set up with where you want to serve. There's numerous places. Check all that are you're interested, and we'll help place you. A second way of getting involved, to, to jump onto one of our teams, you can go to our website, kensingtonorlando.org, or you can actually text um, volunteer to 407-278-7291, and they'll prompt you you through a couple of things, and then we'll get your information, we'll contact you. Or if you're kind of going, I want to, but I don't know what to do, I'd like to talk to somebody, when you walk out of here, I want to encourage you to do this, is stop by one of our two volunteer tables. Our staff are going to be there, and they would love to answer any questions that you have. You can turn your card in or fill it out with them, and, uh, and they can, they can kind of get you plugged into the right area. Um, and I, my prayer is just that, that we would have another 40 of you just step up and say, I'm in, I'll do that for this next school year. I will serve once or twice a month. I'll serve one, attend one. You don't have to miss services to serve here. Um, that's why one of the reasons we have two services is so that our volunteers can actually attend one and serve. And so I just want to invite you onto the team and just follow that prompt by God to jump in, and you'll be glad that you did. All right, with that, we're going to do what we call the Kensington Crunch. There are still people walking in the doors, and we want to leave seats on the rows and in the back for them. So I want to ask you to stand up, say hello to some people around you, squish into the middle, and move down front a little bit, and answer this question when you say hello. How's your week been? We are in week eight of our series, Road Trip, and we have uh, been looking at 10 stops along the journey that Jesus made when he was on this earth for three years during his public ministry. And as he traveled, he interacted with people, and everyone he seemed to interact with was changed, was transformed in some way. Um, much like when you and I meet Jesus for the first time, we're transformed, we're changed. And you know, what God wants for you is he wants for your life to be better than it is today. He wants a better future future for you. He wants you to become the best version of yourself. He wants to, to change you and transform you in the best way possible. And what's interesting about how he does that is often he doesn't change you by changing your circumstances, by changing the situations of your life, by changing um, the people around you. Often he changes you first and foremost by, by changing the inside of you and transforming you. He starts with you. He doesn't change your situations and everything external. He starts internally and changes the way that we perceive and interact with our environment and the people around us. He most often starts with changing you. So today, along uh, the stop along the journey that we're going to be taking with Jesus, he has an interaction with two people, 
and one of them has experienced the deep forgiveness um, of God in a deep and meaningful way, and the other one hasn't, and how they respond to Jesus in this moment um, couldn't be further apart. And so I want to talk to you about two things today, um, the first being God's power in forgiveness. So we're going to kind of cover forgiveness today, first God's power in forgiveness, and then second, God's process to forgiveness. And I believe God wants to change our lives today. So let me pray first before we dive in and just invite him to do that. Um, dear Heavenly Father, I, I do what I just said. I just invite you to change us this morning. Lord, I invite you to interact with us this morning and speak to each one of us individually. Um, God, allow your words that we talk about today to land on soft hearts and fertile soil in our souls so that it might take root and grow into something beautiful. Father, I pray that you would um, just allow us to drop the distractions and the things that are kind of hindering us from connecting with you right now. And God, just give us a clear channel to hear your voice loud and clear. And we know, God, that through that, you will begin the process of change within us. In your holy name, amen. So we are going to jump right into our story. Um, and I want to give you a little bit of, of where we're at in the journey that Jesus was on. Um, he had been traveling around, performing miracles everywhere he went, drawing huge crowds by the thousands, by the tens of thousands. He was basically becoming the first century equivalent of a rock star. Um, that is kind of what he was. He taught like no other rabbi in the area. Everyone that was brought to him that needed healing, he healed. So as you can imagine, everywhere he went, literally he couldn't get through the crowds. There were tens of thousands of people that would crowd in um, to, to, to just see Jesus and to touch Jesus. And in our story today, um, there's a Pharisee named Simon. Now, the Pharisees were a religious group of leaders in Israel. Uh, they were semi-political leaders, so you need to think a high-powered leader in the religious community and also kind of like in our culture, a senator or a house of someone in the House of Representatives. That's kind of where they sat. They were kind of a big deal. Everybody kind of knew who they were. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so they were also at the same time enemies of Jesus. Uh, so in the, at the same time that they're powerful and a lot of people look up to him, um, Jesus was starting to gain following and, and becoming more powerful and more just loved by people than the, the Pharisees were. And so part of their hatred of Jesus was that he was kind of taking away their power and kind of gaining a follower of himself. And so this enemy of Jesus, uh, Simon, actually invites Jesus over for dinner. And so here's the, here's the story, Luke 7, 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And what does that tell us? It just says this, Jesus will hang out with anyone who invites him. He'll just hang out with anybody that's invited him, even his enemies. If you invite Jesus into your life, if you invite Jesus to hang out, he will just accept the invitation. And so he does that. Verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And we can learn so much about this situation from these two verses. For Simon, having Jesus, a visiting rabbi that was super popular over his home, it would kind of have been considered, uh, you know, a religious merit. It would have earned him some God points um, and, and some popularity. It made Simon look good. Like Simon's like, hey, if I can get a little bit of popularity from having Jesus over and it'll help me, I'm going to have Jesus over. So he has Jesus over. It is a big deal. It is a very noteworthy event. So if any of you want to invite me over for dinner, I'm free. I'm free. Thursdays, Fridays. Um, no, not Fridays anymore. Football started. Um, the Pharisees, they, they were so committed to purity 
On top of being religious leaders, they were committed to purity that some scholars believe they would not even buy food or drink from outsiders. They stayed away from sinful people. Um, they didn't want to be around them. They, people that weren't pure and didn't live pure lives, they weren't ever around. They were upper class. Everyone else was lower class, were less than. And so this woman who lived a sinful life, that's all it tells us, is that she shows up where the purest of the pure were. And what happens is, is this turned this dinner event into kind of a scandalous affair because the town isn't that big. Everyone knows this woman's reputation, and chances are she probably made a living from being promiscuous. In this culture, what is happening just doesn't happen. Women, A, weren't invited to the table. B, not women like that at a home of someone like Simon. It's like when, the, I, I, if I, when I put myself in the room, it's like when the good guy in the Western um, like hits the saloon doors um, in a, movie, a Western movie and, and the whole place just screeches to a halt. Like everybody you hear cups and knives and people are talking and like the doors swing open and everyone's like, stops looks at the door. It kind of freaked out. It's kind of this, this tense moment. I just see it's kind of like that. It's kind of like when the person shows up at the party that was not invited on purpose, and everybody knows they weren't invited, but they still come anyways. It's just a little bit like awkward. You know, it's just kind of one of those moments that are just difficult. It's a pretty tense moment, and it broke just about all of the societal norms that were in, the, in one fell swoop in that day. I can imagine that the whole place grew silent when she hit the door, when they realized who was in the room, as she walks over to Jesus, I think it was just one of those awkward, tense moments. Verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And now this story just went from scandalous to like a little bit weird, right? Like this is a little, a little bit awkward, a little uncomfortable uh, with the whole feet thing. Like that's just like kind of dirty. It's kind of gross. Like I'm just thinking, man, Melissa and I, we dated for four years before we got married. And then we didn't, I didn't do the foot rubbing thing until we were like well into marriage, right? It's like kind of, you just don't do that. So it's an awkward deal. On top of that, it's a woman in a room full of people in public weeping uncontrollable, with, especially in a room that's mostly full of guys. Now look, women, let me just tell you something about guys. When you start crying, we don't know what to do. Like, it is the most difficult thing for guys. It's like, it freaks us out. If you get emotional and you start crying, like, we freeze because we just got, our mind starts going 100 miles an hour. Our brains, we start going into overtime. You're crying, and we're just thinking, do I talk? Do I not talk? What do I do? do should I say something? Do I not say do I hug her? Do I touch her? Do I leave her alone? Does she want to be touched? What happens if I do touch her? What if she pulls away? What do I do then? Do I ask her what's wrong? And then when you start thinking that, you're like going, oh my gosh, I don't want to know what's wrong because it's probably me. So you start thinking that, and then you're like, and if, if I ask her what's wrong and it's not me, then she's going to want to talk. And the game's on. It's like you know how it is. It's like when a woman starts crying for us guys, ladies, Every light on our dashboard lights up. Like, we're just like, we don't know what to do in this moment. Like, we don't know what all she was involved in, but by how she's acting. Her life is one that is probably defined by two words that many of our lives can sometimes be defined by. It's guilt and shame. Like, you can just see by the way she's responding, those two words probably really envelope the way she feels about herself and the emotions that she's feeling. It's guilt and shame. Now, what's the difference? Guilt is when I know I've done something wrong. Shame is when everybody else knows too. See, guilt 
only requires one person. Shame actually requires a community of people to exist. And what she does, this is not spontaneous. This is premeditated. She knows that this can go very badly for her. And she is so moved by Jesus that she's willing to take the risk and break all the societal norms and go to Jesus in this moment. And Jesus doesn't flinch. Luke 7, 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. This pure, righteous Pharisee cannot believe that Jesus, a rabbi on par with him, would let this, this dirty, sinful, despicable, everybody knows what she's involved in person actually touch him. Simon's like, what, what is he doing? Why would he do How could he do that? And then Jesus answered him in verse 40 because he knew what he was thinking. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, and I'm sure he had a little bit of, of, of like attitude in his voice. Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. You see Simon doing that? See, news like Jesus is probably going to teach him something. You know, I suppose the one who had the bigger, bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Now, let me just bring that into today's terms. Um, in today's world, 50 denarii can be up to around $10,000. So one person had a $10,000 debt. The other person was given 500 denarii. I had a 500 denarii debt, which means it is how much? $100,000, right? So you've got a person with a $10,000 debt, a person with a $100,000 debt. I'm really sorry for making you do math this early in the morning, uh, but I thought it'd be fun for me. Um, so, so who would love the forgiver more? If you couldn't pay it and someone said, you know what? I'm going to forgive both debts. Who would love the, for, the, the, the guy that forgave them more? Yeah, it'd be the person that, that had the $100,000 debt. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus is basically saying to Simon, you're my host, Simon, and you didn't even give me water for my feet. They wore sandals all the time. Their feet were nasty. And she is a stranger... And she's giving me her tears. You, Simon, a man of honor, failed to even offer a single kiss to me, which was a, a way of signaling honor to somebody. And she's a woman of shame. She won't stop kissing my feet. You're a leader. You will not provide the minimum amount of accepted hospitality. And she is a total outcast in this society. And she is going above and beyond what's expected. And so there, 47, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And here's what probably happened earlier that day. She had heard Jesus teach, and something began to happen in her heart. 
her heart began to soften. Perhaps as she was listening, her, her, her eyes kind of welled up with tears as she realized that Jesus loved her and actually would forgive her, that redemption was actually possible for someone like her, that God could put back together the broken pieces of her life. And what was her response? To show her love for him. She had experienced God's forgiveness of her sin, and she couldn't help it. She was compelled to go reveal that love to Jesus. And so what Jesus does is he forgives her and tells her to go in peace. Like he sends her away and says, you now have a peace that you didn't have before. You revealed how you have received forgiveness and have shown love. And so what this story begins to reveal is God's power in forgiveness. God's power in forgiveness. Jesus directly correlates receiving forgiveness with the ability to express and experience love. Direct correlation. She's been forgiven much, so she loves much. Those who are forgiven little, loves little. Jesus is actually calling Simon out. He's exposing him. Because what? Simon's a Pharisee. He's a rule follower. He's a leader of the rule followers. He really believes that by following the rules of God that you can actually earn salvation from God. And in his mind... He hardly needed any forgiveness because he was so good. He was not a sinner like this woman was. He knew the Bible. He knew the Torah backwards and forwards. He followed all 637 man-made rules that the religious leaders made up. He was so pure, he didn't even allow himself around impure people. He had like earned every gold star in Sunday school. He hit every memory verse. He bought the teacher's gift. He won every Bible challenge growing up. Like he was, he was it to Simon. He didn't sin. He actually was the person that was supposed to call out sin in other people. And what was the result of him living that way? His heart was hard. His heart was, 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 was calculated. His capacity for love was small. His capacity was less than because he didn't need to be forgiven. Why? Because he who is forgiven little loves little. There's a correlation between receiving God's forgiveness and grace and our capacity to love God and love other people. That's why Simon didn't see this woman as someone to be loved. He saw this woman as someone to be kept outside. He saw this woman as, no, you're less than, you don't matter, you're not important. Simon didn't understand something that's very central to faith in Jesus. And it's a very simple theological concept that Simon actually needed as much forgiveness as she did. See, Christianity is really the only belief system that levels the playing field when it comes to good and bad people. Every other religious system that you find on this planet that man has made up to get to God has the haves and the haves nots, the good and the bad, and the, and, the, and the good people go to heaven and the bad people don't. Well, Christianity comes in and there's this leveling of the playing field between good and bad by saying something that people, some people are very offended by. And you find it in the book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul, Romans 3.23, where we are told, and this throughout the New, New Testament, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I need your help on this. Um, how many does this passage say have sinned? How many have sinned? All of us. Simon, sinner. Scandalous woman, sinner. You, sinner. Me, pastor, not sinner. Just kidding. Sinner. We've all fallen short of the standard that God has set, which is perfection. We've all sinned. There's no discrimination here. Any wrong thing you've ever done, any wrong thought you've ever had, any wrong action that you've ever taken, anything in your life where you've chosen your way over God's way, which is every single one of us in this room, 
has sinned. We've fallen short. And because of that, Romans 6.23 tells us the payment of what we deserve. And that is this, for the wages of sin is death. If you fall short, what's the penalty? Death. You deserve eternal death. God is perfect. To be in God's presence requires that you and I be perfect. If you're not perfect, you cannot be in the presence of a perfect God. But, and there's a great one in this passage, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through Jesus and his death and sacrifice on the cross, he paid our penalty for us. So that we can have forgiveness for our sins, which makes us perfect in God's eyes. Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross offers forgiveness, paid our penalty so that when you ask him for forgiveness, he actually covers you in his forgiveness so that you can be presented before God as perfect and be in the presence of God. That's why it's a relationship with God through Jesus who makes us presentable to God. Now, how do you access the gift of eternal life? How do you access a relationship with God? Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what I just walked you through, if you ever want to share the theology of, of, of Christianity to a friend or you're witnessing to somebody and they're asking, man, what is this all about? I want you to remember the Romans road. It's in the book of Romans and it's Romans, Romans 3.23, 6.23, 10.13. If you can remember numbers and you're good with numbers, 3.23, uh, 6.23, 10.13. I just walked you down the Roman road. It just kind of lays out salvation. See, Simon believed good people go to heaven. And I've had a lot of conversations with people who say, well, I, I'm good. I'm good, so I'm good, I'm good. And by good, they mean religious or they do more good than bad. Simon had a list of good things. He's like, I go to church, I follow the rules, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. Like he's got this whole little thing that he does. He's like, look, I'm better than everybody else. He was fully immersed in the comparison game and he was winning in his mind. But in God's economy, what we learn in James 2.10 is that there's really, um, there's really no caste system when it comes to following God. James 2.10, we're reminded and told for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. And I'm telling you, this is a gift that God has given us here. Because according to God, we're all sinners. There's no better or worse sinner in the room. So I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to say this to them, and I want you to mean it sincerely. I want you to say, you are the second biggest sinner I know. Okay, so turn to the person next to you. Just tell them you're the second biggest sinner I know. Now... Who is the biggest sinner that you know? You are, right? Like I am. I'm as guilty as the person next to me. There's no, well, you really do bad stuff and I don't, so I'm better than. All sin has the same price, death. All of us need salvation as much as the person next to us because you're as guilty as anybody else. There, there are different consequences to our sins. Let me tell you that. But we all, every last one of us, we have as much need of salvation as the person sitting next to us. We have as much need of salvation and forgiveness as the person sitting on death row. See, it's not about being more good than bad. It's about accepting God's forgiveness and grace because you are desperately in need of his forgiveness and grace. And when you accept and believe that, and this is what this power in forgiveness is, when you accept and believe that you are forgiven by God, there is a softening of your heart, a gratitude that begins to become a defining characteristic of who you are. You open and you strengthen the ability of your heart to love like Jesus loves and forgive like Jesus forgives. 
Because he who is forgiven much, which is all of us, if you've accepted Jesus, loves much. Which gets me to something that forgiven people do, and this is part of loving much. Um, Forgiven people do what? They forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. It's that simple. Forgiven people forgive people. God's power in forgiveness is, is it opens our heart to loving God and loving others so much that we can actually forgive others like Jesus forgave us. I love this quote by Tim Keller. He's one of my favorite authors and, and just pastors and teachers. He says this. He says, the more you rejoice in your own forgiveness, the quicker you'll be to forgive other people. The more you rejoice in the fact that no matter what you have done and will do um, and, and are doing right now, that God will forgive you for that through Jesus Christ, the quicker you will be to forgive other people that are struggling through their life and struggling with sin just as much as you are. And I'm just telling you, as followers of Jesus, if you have invited him into your life, we should be the best forgivers in the world. We really should. We should be known for how we handle forgiveness and relational conflict because we've been forgiven by the blood of our leader. Therefore, we turn around and we forgive with the same forgiveness that he gives to us. Now, um, let's talk about um, forgiving others um, and talk about God's process to forgiveness, the power in forgiveness and the process to forgiveness. One of the things that Jesus did when he taught is he taught so practically. Like he just said, look, I'm going to tell you how to do this. I'm not just going to tell you what it is. I'm not just going to explain the concept. I'm going to tell you how to do it in step-by-step fashion. And so uh, what I'm about to teach you over the next like 10 minutes, okay, I really believe this is life-changing. I believe that this will change every relationship you have for the rest of your life if you will apply it because it's a step-by-step way to handle conflict God's way. And we all have conflict in our life. This is how do you handle it God's way. We find it in Matthew 18. Starting in verse 15, Jesus is teaching. He says, if another believer, if someone sins against you, go privately, key point, and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. And I will just tell you this one verse includes everything we know, need to know for biblical conflict. Resolution, not biblical conflict, because you don't want conflict of biblical proportions. That's bad. But biblical conflict resolution. Step one, go. Just go. You be the initiator of resolution. Don't wait on them. If there's a relational rift, no matter who caused it, you go. Take it on your shoulders to go. You take the first step. It doesn't matter whether it's your problem or it's their problem or something in between. You initiate the the reconciliation. Don't wait by the phone. You'll be waiting a long time, right? Don't wait by the phone. You go. Step two, go alone. This is so key. Don't gossip about it. Don't tell the details to anybody. Go directly to the source and say, I have a problem. We have a problem. It is that simple. Go, go alone. And I'll just tell you, when someone comes to me and says, I need to talk to you about something, and they say, I haven't talked to anybody else about this. I wanted to talk to you first to see if we can resolve it. And I just want to do this one-on-one because every now and then people do that with me. Um, most of the time, none of us do that with anybody. But when someone is willing to do that to me, I just go, man, you know what? They really take God's process to forgiveness seriously, and it pays off. So you go, and you go alone just between you and that other person. Step three is what? Go to be reconciled. Go, go alone. Go to be reconciled. And this speaks to motives. Go to listen, not just be heard, but to listen and be heard. Seek to understand. Don't go to win the argument. Don't go to shame the other person. Don't go to make demands of restitution. Don't go to point out all the wrongs they did. Go to build a bridge. Go to win them over, as Jesus put it. Go, go alone. Go to be reconciled. Step four, go now. Go now. It is so important that you do this fast. Jesus said that as a disciple, if you realize that there's a forgiveness issue on the table, at, 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 at that point, it takes priority over even being in church. 
Like when you realize that there's a forgiveness issue between you and another person, it says in Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. And I'll just tell you, if we followed this to a T right now, some of you would have to walk out, right? You're like, oop, that's me, got to go. It's like, go. If you have have conflict with somebody, go. Go alone. Go to be reconciled and do it now. Do it quick. Don't let it fester. Don't let it sit. Don't let Satan get in there and play the game of getting a bunch of people talking about it. And step five is like we got to break out into song, one of the best songs ever in any Disney movie, the Frozen song, Let It Go. Step five is just let it go. Forgive the other person. When you go to work it out and you win them over, forgive them. And just so you know what it means to forgive, there's, when, a, when a person forgives another, he's promising to do three things. Not to use it against the wrongdoer in the future. Not to talk about it with other people. And not to dwell on it themselves. And so here's the process. You want to process right from Jesus. It's go. Go alone. Go to reconcile. Go now. Let it go. And then there's a couple more. But I would just say this, 90% of your relational breakdowns could be healed by just applying this one passage of Scripture. By just applying this one verse of Scripture, and you guys know how powerful God's Word is, one passage of Scripture literally can bring about reconciliation between you and pretty much 90% of the people would be my guess that you have have conflict with right now could be resolved just by following this thing. Now, there's a couple more. Jesus says that that it doesn't always work, and sometimes you go to somebody and they don't want to work it out, and he just says, then go grab another person and, uh, and bring them to that person, and the three of you try and work it out. And if that doesn't work, go get the leaders of the church and bring the leaders of the church with you, and you go try and work it out. And then he's pretty harsh at the end. At the end, he just says, if that doesn't work, then kick the other person out of the church. And I think why he's so serious is because it's like when you have somebody that's unwilling to forgive, that's heart is so hard that they cannot love enough to forgive another person. He's like, I don't want that to be a part of my community. I don't want people that are that hard-hearted that are unwilling to forgive when I've forgiven them so much. Uh, that, that should not be a part of a Christian community. And so I love how he just kind of gives us steps all the way down. Now, there's a little bit more we need to talk about forgiveness because it's important that we cover it today. But before I jump into it, we're going to receive our offering right now. And so for those of you that call Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. And, and we just say, thank you, God, for, for all, the, all the, the, the resources you've given me. So I give some back to you. For those of you that are here for the first time, this is, I just want you to let the basket go by. No pressure to give. I don't want you to feel, feel like just like you, you've got to do something in this moment. People are going to be looking at you if you don't. Um, this service is actually our gift to you. We're just grateful that you're here. And so thank you for joining us. Now, um, there's a few verses later that Peter, um, he's kind of the lead, lead, lead disciple of Jesus, and he was always asking the question that nobody else would ask because everyone was too afraid, but he would just ask. Um, he says a few verses later, Peter comes to Jesus in Matthew 18, and he says, Lord, on this topic of forgiveness, how often should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Like, obviously, somebody had done something to Peter that really bugged him, and it was probably the Apostle John, because they kind of had a little thing going on between them throughout the, the New Testament. And, uh, and Peter's like, okay, Jesus... I hear you about all this forgiveness stuff, blah, blah, blah. That's great. Okay, how many times do I got to do this? Like, Jesus, come on. Like, seven? Seven? He gives him a number. Is seven enough? Like, if I do this seven times, can I say, can I say no more Mr. Nice Guy? Like, hello to the fist. Like, can I do this? Because I need to punch somebody in the mouth now because I'm tired of something this happening over and over again. And we've all felt that way, right? We've all been wronged. We've forgiven. We've been wronged. We've forgiven. And we're like, okay, when does this end? Well, this is very interesting because Peter wanted a number, a limit, a place where he could finally say no more Mr. Nice Guy. Jesus responds, verse 22, he says, 
No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. It's 70 times seven, Peter. And I could see Peter's eyes bugging out of his head as he's trying to do the math. And he's like, that's 490 times. Like, seriously, Jesus, I just got to take it for 490 times? And what Jesus is actually saying is like, Peter, you've got it all wrong. You don't count the number of times that you forgive someone because forgiveness is unlimited. And I think by the time you forgive somebody 490 times, you've kind of gotten into the habit of forgiving them. If you can ever get to that many times, forgiveness is so important to God that he just says, never stop forgiving others when they sin against you. Never stop forgiving others when they hurt you. Never stop forgiving when people wrong you. Why? Because God never stops forgiving you and he never will stop forgiving you. Jesus is just like, look, you are forgiven an unlimited amount of times by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. So you forgive an unlimited amount of times. There is no limit to the forgiveness that you should give to someone else because there's no limit to the forgiveness that I've given to you. Now, does that mean you stay in an abusive or toxic relationship? Absolutely not. You need to get safe and get out of a relationship like that, but that does not mean you don't work towards forgiving um, the person who has wronged you. And I'll just tell you, if you don't, work towards forgiveness. The consequences hurt everybody. Um, Every time I talk about this topic, it makes me think of my dad. My dad is one of the hardest, cold, close-hearted guys towards God and towards other people that I've ever known in my life. Part of it, I believe, stemmed back to something that happened in 1971 in his life. Um, My dad and his brother had a conflict in 1971. They're both full-blooded Italian guys. They came over on the boat from Italy. Um, They quit speaking to people in 1971. I was born in 1973. 30 years later, 2003, I'm at my brother's wedding, and we're talking to my Aunt Doris because my dad had a sister. And so we're talking to Aunt Doris, and she starts talking about her brother, Don. And I'm like, hey, who's your brother, Don? He's like, well, it's, it's your uncle. Like, what do you mean my uncle? It's like, it's my brother, Don. It's my little brother, Don. I'm like... Is it my dad's brother too? Like I'm asking this question because she's like, yeah, you don't know about Uncle Don? I'm like, no, I've never heard his name come out of my dad's mouth. And she's like, you're kidding me. I'm like, who is this Uncle Don guy? So she starts telling me about her little brother. And we start finding out and find out that my Uncle Don that I didn't even know existed for 30 years of my life, we find out that my Uncle Don actually lives two miles away from me. And so I'm like, you are kidding me. I have family I never knew about. So I decide that I need to go meet Uncle Don because I need an Uncle Don. Everybody needs an Uncle Don. So I look up his address. I go and I just show up unannounced on his doorstep. (laughs) So I like, I ring his doorbell and he answers and I'm like, Uncle Don, I'm your nephew, Kevin. I'm Val's son. And he's like, hey, oh my gosh, I heard about you. I heard that you live somewhere near here. He knew about me. I didn't know about him. He welcomes me into his home, and he just starts telling me the story of like what had happened and about growing up, and I had all kinds of questions for him, and he was a super great guy. And at the end of our conversation, like I learned that I've got, not only do I have an uncle that I never knew, I've got five cousins. He had five, five kids that were my like first cousins, and I didn't even know about it. And so um, I kind of expanded my family in a big way. And at the end of the conversation, I said, I said Uncle Don, because you know we're close now. We hung out for a little bit. I'm like, Uncle Don, why don't you just call my dad? Why don't you just give him a shout and, and just, like, say hi? And he looks at me and says, I'm not calling him. He needs to call me. I'm, like, angry. He immediately went from, like, hey, Uncle Don, you're so cool, to boom, like, just mad. Shut me down. And I'm like, okay. So I leave there, and I'm like, I, I talk to my dad, like, two times a year at this point in my life. Not, not very much. I decide I need to call my dad and told him I met me his brother, and maybe I could help bring some reconciliation, you know, something like that. Um, and so I call my dad, and I'm like, Dad, 
guess who I just talked to? And he's like, who? I'm like, your brother. I just talked to Uncle Don. Silence on the other end. Like three or four heartbeats. And my dad goes, I don't have a brother. And I'm like, Dad, yes, you do. I just talked to him. I'm like, yeah, you do. I just talked to him. And he's like, I don't have a brother. I'm not talking to him. I'm like, Dad, like, he, I just talked to him. He's a nice guy. He's like, he's like I'm not calling him. He's got to call me. Shut me down. Done. And I start finding out that my dad for over three decades had carried unforgiveness in his heart towards his brother and his family so much that he wouldn't even talk to them, which helped my dad's heart grow so small and so cold towards God and towards other people. I think part of it is because he had never opened his heart to forgiveness from God or forgiveness towards other people. I mean, he, I don't remember a single relationship he had my entire time growing up that was a real relationship with anybody else because he was such a cold-hearted guy. His heart was just like a dried-up sponge, you know? It's just brittle and hard, and it's easy to break in half. He had never watered it with the forgiveness of God and, and giving forgiveness to other people. And so here's the gospel. Jesus died on the cross to purchase forgiveness from God. Forgiveness from God for every sin that you've ever committed in your past, your present, and your future. Already paid for. He's forgiven a generational debt to you. Something you could never do on your own. And then Jesus says, when it comes to our relationships, remember how much I've forgiven you and forgive other people. The mark of a disciple is someone that has such a deep connection with Jesus and the forgiveness that they've been offered that they live a life where forgiveness is unlimited towards other people because of their ability to love much, which gets me to you and I, where I just have a couple questions I want you to, to, to work through. What unforgiveness are you harboring right now that is shrinking your heart? What unforgiveness are you harboring, even with your spouse, with your mom or dad, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your friends? What unforgiveness are you harboring that is literally restricting your ability, uh, the ability of your heart to love much? In what areas uh, of your life are you a forgiveness hypocrite, right? You want forgiveness and leniency when you do something wrong, but when someone does something wrong to you, man, you're like really hard to give forgiveness to. With whom do you need to follow God's process to forgiveness today? Who do you need to pick up the phone and call this afternoon and go, hey, I'm, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go alone. I'm, I'm going I'm to go to be reconciled. Who do you need to do that with today? And, and then lastly, with whom do you need to release grace and kindness and mercy and compassion into their life? And so I, I want to share a story with you that we share at what we call Alpha. It's a class that we do um, a couple times a year that is just basically talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and answers a lot of questions that you might have with faith. We're going to be doing another one, I think, the end of this year or early next year. Um, but this is a story um, that we show in our Alpha course of a man who was one of the attackers during the genocide in Rwanda in 1994, and I don't know if you know much about this, but there was an ethnic group called the Hutus, who was a majority group, and another ethnic group called the Tutsis, who was um, uh, an, a minority ethnic group, and there was this point where the conflict got so bad that the Hutus were slaughtering the Tutsis, and a million people were slaughtered in 100 days in this genocide. A million people in 100 days. It was so bad. Melissa and I, we just watched a special on this the other day. It was so bad in that country, over the radio waves, through the radio stations, they were actually would come on with a public service announcement that would say to the Hutu tribe, go and smoke weed and then slaughter Tutsis. It would just say, go do this. And people would just go and do this. And so um, I want you to hear the story of one of the Hutu killers and his journey to receiving forgiveness from God.
Communist Party Emmanuel, and I participated in the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi. I murdered many Tutsi under the order of bad leadership and I spent six years in prison and four years in community service. While in prison, fellow prisoners invited me to try Alpha. I went, but struggled to engage. I realized I needed to tell the truth about what I had done and wrote a letter asking for forgiveness of the relatives of those I had murdered. Life was so hard after being released from prison. I found my wife with two children that were not mine and I faced many heartbreaking situations. I didn't know how I was going to live with the genocide survivors after what I had done. My heart was filled with agony, loneliness, and fear. Encouraged by Alpha in prison, I decided to do Alpha again. I learned that Jesus forgives and experienced love in a way I had never known before. With the help of the local pastor, I went to find Vincent whose mother and grandmother I had killed to ask for forgiveness. I now live in a village built for genocide survivors and perpetrators. Vincent lives in the same village. We have formed a friendship and I now experience peace like I haven't experienced it before. Day-to-day -day life continues to be a challenge, but I have found forgiveness and healing in the things that I've done. It's the hardest thing to give away And the last thing on your mind today It always goes to those who don't deserve It's the opposite of how you feel When the pain they cause is just too real It takes everything you have to say the word Forgive me Saying seven. 
stand with me? I want to lead into this next part of the service where we're just going to respond for a little bit. And I want to just give you the opportunity for some of you to take that first step towards softening your heart, and that is accepting the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for the first time in your life. Every week, I think it's just imperative that as a church, we give people the opportunity to step across the line of faith. And so if that's you today and you're like, I want to accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for the first time and step across the line of faith, I want to invite you to pray with me. And so would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment, everybody in the room? And and if that's you and you're ready to pray and invite Jesus into your life, you can just kind of make my words yours. There's nothing special about the words. It's more the posture of your heart. But you could just say, God... Today I surrender my life to you. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. That you love me that much. So I ask that you would forgive me for my sins. And I invite you into my life. And as much as I understand it, help me to live my life for you. Help me to grow spiritually. Help me to forgive people in my life that I've harbored resentment and bitterness towards for years. And God, help me to begin anew, living life a different way as a child of yours. In your holy name, amen. I want to invite you, if you prayed that prayer with me, to do a couple things. One is tell people 
Um, tell somebody that, that brought you or that's been praying for you and stop by our starting point area. Just say, hey, I prayed today. We'd love to give you a Bible and share with you how we can help you grow spiritually. And then we, we want to close our service by just singing a couple of songs together that just allows us to breathe and respond to what God might be saying to you. And this first one is just about how so often we're afraid to step into conflict. Um, and that really kind of paralyzes us. And, and we, with Jesus' help, we don't have to be slaves to that fear anymore. And so um, as we sing this song, I want to encourage you to just sing and work through stuff with God and let him talk to you. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies until all my fears are gone. Cause I'm no longer a slave fear. I am a child.
what Jesus forgave for us on the cross when he overcame death to forgive you of your sins. Now the darkness fades into new beginnings as we lift our eyes to a hope beyond. Till creation waits with an expectation
right, well, hey, um, as you are headed out of here, a couple things for you. Um, if you want to be a part of one of our teams, jump in. Um, take this to one of the two tables at the corners. They'll help you fill it out and get you plugged in, and we'll get you started here in the next couple of weeks. You will not be sorry that you did, and it'll be a marked moment in your journey with God. Um, also, tomorrow night at our town hall, come hang out with us. A ton of great questions. I want you to bring all your questions, and we just want you to meet our, our elders and our team and talk a little bit about where we're going as a church. And then over here, there's a couple people that would love to pray with you if you need prayer for anything or for anyone in your life. You guys, thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for taking the time to, to, to trust us with your Sunday morning. Um, I hope you were blessed, and I hope to see you back here next week. Don't come alone. See you guys. <laughs>